Hey, welcome to Optimize Your Body with Martin Silva, where we talk raw, uncut facts to truly help you optimize your body. Hello, guys and girls. I have Tom King on the line. He is the author of the book, Guy Gone Keto, and many other things. He's got a lot of other things he's developed as well. How are you doing over there in Portland, Tom? I am doing terrific, and um, Martin, I appreciate you having me on your podcast. It's a huge honor for me, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, getting engaged here. It's it's my pleasure. The pleasure's all mine, and yeah, crazy time difference, but I'm used to doing these uh, these podcasts now in America. <laughs> Perfect. We, we got it locked in eventually, but yeah, if you could share with the audience your firstly i guess what what got you um into uh what what you're doing essentially so you know you're you're very passionate about food and um you obviously mm-hmm. adopted the, the the keto way of eating the the ketosis diet which is mm-hmm. uh it's a, it's a it's almost like a bud a buzzword now um keto a lot of my mm. uh, i think a lot of my audience are going to be uh, very interested in this but yeah mm. just tell us your story please tom um, yeah, well, I mean, keto is very popular. I think last year and, and even this year, it's the number one search term on Google. So, wow. um, you know, I do have a lot of people tell me, oh, that's just a trend. Um, I don't really think it's a trend. I think that it's actually, um, you know, sort of an evolution of, uh, of nutrition. I think it's how, you know, it's how human beings that, you know, should eat and, you know, the sort of the macros and the, uh, the nutritional profile of the things that we can assume should follow, in my opinion, uh, keto. And I mean, how I got started in this, I mean, it's kind of an interesting journey. Um, you know, I, I, my, I would say that my main business, so the guy gone keto thing and my ketogenic line of products and the book and everything is kind of my side, side hustle. Um, the, my core business is actually, uh, we, we have a company that supplies ingredients, um, to food manufacturers and those primary ingredients that we supply are sweeteners. And so one might ask like, well, how did you get into the sweetener business? And I actually, um, it was in 1994, I ran into a gentleman in, in Arizona where I was living at the time and he brought back some, some crushed up leaves. They were crushed up into a paste. Um, you know, he brought those back from Paraguay and you know, he's like, Hey, you should try these. And I tried them and I was blown away. It was like, these are really sweet. There were the leaves just crushed up or probably 25 times sweeter than sugar. And, you know, and, and I was, I was amazed. And I thought, you know, if there was a way to be able to extract those sweet constituents from that, from that leaf, you know, this could be a great sort of sugar substitute that could be used in the future. Um, so flash forward five years later, um, I'd worked with some chemists and we came up with a, a natural extraction method that just uses basically hot water and, and vegetable alcohol um, to get that, to get those sweet, you know, the sweet components out of the leaf. So that's how I started my business. And just because I had a sweetener business, you know, and I dabbled in keto, um, back then it was referred to as Atkins, which Atkins, I don't really think is completely keto, but it was pretty close. And I used it as sort of a modality or method to lose weight when I got fat. Yeah. Um, so it was up and down all the time. Like, that was oh, big. Well, I'm uh, eating a few pounds. Yeah. And then, you know, then I would 
you know, go, go on a, a keto diet or an Atkins diet, and then I would lose, you know, lose 10, 15 pounds, and I'd be fine for a while. But what happened is from not making that a lifestyle and just making it a diet, you know, I saw my weight go up and down and up and down. But it was like when it would go down, it wouldn't go down all the way. And when it would go up, it would go up just a little higher. So mm-hmm. about uh, about four or five years ago, um, you know, I think I hit a point of just bottoming out. I was 35 pounds overweight. I, you know, my blood pressure was, uh, was 179 over 90. And, you know, I just, I, I had brain fog in the afternoon and I just don't think that I, I mean, I definitely wasn't healthy. Um, you know, and I'd gone out to dinner, you know, one night when I was in Las Vegas on a, uh, for a trade show, I went out to dinner with a, with a customer. He, uh, took me to dinner. We had steak, we had potatoes, we had a bottle of wine and cake. And I got back to the room and looked in the mirror and it was like, you know, I felt, I felt a little bit like an imposter because, you know, I was selling, you know, sweeteners to, you know, to sports nutrition companies that were focused on keto. And, you know, I didn't really follow it. I was eating pizza and cake and, you know, and had, mm. you know, unhealthy, you know, habits. And I think at that point, um, <clears throat> you know, the pain of, of, of what I, you know, sort of become had exceeded the pleasure of, you know, of my bad habits. And, you know, I started writing it down, like, you know, what my intention was and what I wanted to manifest. And, you know, with that coupled with data collection, you know, after a year, I had, you know, an entire book. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. I'd like to, at the start of this conversation, I guess, just challenge you a little bit on the concept of, <laughs> on the kind of background of, of the keto diet, because obviously everyone's different, right? So everyone has individual mm-hmm. variances and I can see mm-hmm. how I think most people would benefit from, from trying a similar way of, you know, e- eating keto for a, I think most people mm-hmm. would benefit at least doing, at least for doing it for a phase to see how they feel and how their body responds. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. and there's some, obviously a lot of the studies show some of that. Well, we'll talk about that a bit more anyway, in terms of the studies mm-hmm. on preventing certain ailments uh, chronic illness and all those kind of things and inflammation. Mm-hmm. Sure. And and personally, I can I can actually talk about this because I have dipped. I tried the keto diet once before, and I say the keto diet. I just tried eating a keto, a keto uh, kind of adopted a keto way of eating, if you like, and I felt good. But what I did find is, um, it's you know, it's it's quite restrictive in terms of the kind of food you eat, right? So is this not really a great deal if you think of the abundance of nutrients you know out there mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. there wasn't really much to choose from so when it comes from like a, a social standpoint if you go mm. out to a restaurant for example it mm-hmm. become it can it can become a little bit tricky but um i tend to do a lot of um intermittent fasting i do that most days anyway so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure my body kicks into ketosis in a fasted state or, or something happens anyway, because I, I certainly feel a lot better in a fasted state. But yeah, did you have any, um, any challenges when you were, when you were adopting over, sorry, when you were switching <laughs> over to the keto, keto diet? Um, mm-hmm. And if you could just explain how you transitioned <clears throat> over as well, because it can be quite mm-hmm. extreme going from what you were eating to, to that kind mm-hmm. of diet, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And, and challenges. Yeah. I mean, I still have challenges quite honestly. Um, 
you know, there's things that I enjoy consuming that, you know, don't fall under keto. Like I like a good glass of whiskey once in a while and a nice cold beer. Love Those it. don't generally fall, fall under, um, you know, fall under keto. <clears throat> um, you know, I think that it, when I first started, I, I felt like, you know, you could have a cheat day. And <clears throat> so I would stay keto uh, Monday through Saturday. And on Sunday, Sunday would be my cheat day. And when I'd have a cheat day, I didn't screw around. Like I would have hamburgers and French fries and pizza and ice cream and beer and everything else. And I, th- I found that that cheat day, I mean, you know, it, it, it seemed great, except I felt really terrible afterwards. And it took me probably a good solid two days to get back into, uh, to get back into keto. And then really you only have another three days of being keto. And then you're back on a cycle again because you had a cheat day. So mm. What I found is that, yeah, I mean, it's going to take discipline. Like, if you're addicted to French fries, um, that's going to be a problem. I'd say that a workaround, uh, a workaround on French fries is having jicama, and I'm not sure if they have jicama in Australia, but it's, uh, it, I'd say it's, it's similar to a potato, but it's, yep. uh, it's higher in fiber, and you, you know, they, <clears throat> they won't kick you out of keto. I mean, there's a lot of options, but yeah, okay. Um, you know, in the beginning, yeah, I mean, there was definitely major challenges. Like, mm. I had a cheat day, then I had to find the discipline to be able to eliminate the cheat day. And then you just need to find the, you know, isolate the foods that will definitely throw you out of keto, like bread, any kind of grains. But, I mean, over time, like, you know, I, I probably really just struggled with it for two or three months <clears throat> until I got a real basic understanding and then became what's called fat adapted. Mm. Meaning that my body that I was able to go into to keto pretty easily, mm. but I mean I think a lot of people still sort of mis- misunderstand um, the keto diet. Mm. You know, I get a lot of vegans, um, you know, direct messaging me telling me you know how destructive it is to the planet because all I eat, all I eat is meat and or bacon and cheese. Mm. Well, <laughs> bacon and cheese are probably the least that things that I eat. Of course. Um, That'd be like uh, a treat, wouldn't it, on the keto diet? Because uh, don't get me wrong, you know, yeah. there's some nutrients in it, but there's so much, so many more uh, better whole food options out there, isn't there, than bacon and oh. cheese? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, like bacon and cheese. I mean, I you know, I love bacon and cheese, but it's not my main staple of what I eat. And I would say that I eat more vegetables now yeah. than than I did before. It's a different types of vegetables. So the basic, you know, the basic premise of the keto diet is seventy percent fat. 20% protein and 10% vegetables. And those vegetables mm. that you're going to eat are, t- sorry, 10% carbohydrates. But the carbohydrates that you're going to get or eat are going to be, are going to come from different types of, of vegetables. They're going to be coming from kale. They're going to be coming from broccoli, you know, like cruciferous vegetables, mm. like, like uh, cauliflower and, yeah. and cabbage. So, yeah. <laughs> cabbage. I mean, I love cabbage. Yeah. They're my staples. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're my staples. Those cruciferous vegetables, they've been my staple for years. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, yeah. they, they're, they're loaded full of nutrients and they just seem to make me feel great. Always my go-to. Yeah. A hundred percent. But I mean, there's a lot of other value that they bring too. I mean, for, for the amount of density that you take in, they're pretty low calorie and they're Super pretty low, low carb. Exactly. And, and a high thermic and, effect as well because of all the fiber, you know, yes, uh, the body has to work pretty hard to digest the foods, right? Yeah, absolutely. But then the added benefit is like when you bring that those soluble fibers, you know, into your into your uh, you know into your gut, that it really feeds your microbiome. Mm. So 
I mean, it's it's important that people don't misunderstand that you know if you get on a keto diet, you're not just going to be eating meat because if you just only eat meat, that in in and of itself is going to take you out of keto because exactly. meat. That's yes, more me. of a carnivore diet then anyway, right? That's a another topic altogether, but um, we can maybe elaborate the, a bit on keto, that. But yeah, yeah, keto carnivore. I mean, keto carnivore seems to be something that that more and pe- more people are adopting. And I mean, I don't really support it unless you're using keto carnivore as as an elimination diet, you know, mm. to be able to see to to be able to ascertain which you know which foods that are causing intolerances. Mm. I think that. There, a keto like a keto carnivore diet might work, but I'm not. I mean, I don't promote a, a keto carnivore diet. I mean, I promote mm. a nutritional ketogenic diet, which is seventy percent fat, twenty percent protein, and ten percent mm. uh, vegetables. And if it grows above the ground, basically mm. you can eat it. If it grows underground, don't eat it because you know it's going to be high glycemic. And I mean, with having that basic, you know, those basic elements in your diet there's tons of variety like you mm. shouldn't go, you should never go hungry and there should be tons of tons of uh, uh of options to you know workarounds like you can make keto cakes and you can make keto desserts you know you just want to make sure that you you know you eliminate sugar mm. Mm. that's it and the bottom line is you know if you eat in predominantly whole foods as i always say you know, you, you, the, that's, that should be the, uh, the the goal, right? Just to eat minimal processed foods. And if you're eating that way as well, I was just going to ask you about how um, the only problem I kind of see is this is so many extremes nowadays, right? So I'm with nutrition. It's like people are going from one extreme to another. And, mm-hmm. and just based on the hundreds of people I've coached, and, you know, based on my own experiences, it just, it's a process. So, you know, people, people are almost, like I said, it's a bit of a buzzword, like keto, even, even mm-hmm. vegan. People want to attach themselves to something and they, they make it part of their identity as well. And then mm-hmm. when someone's going from eating a terrible standard kind of westernized diet, and then they're mm-hmm. talking about jumping over to keto, it's just mm-hmm. for, for based on what I've experienced, you know, 99% of the time, they're going to mm-hmm. fail to sustain because sustainability is, is key. And I think it would have to be a process. So I was just going to, just to give the audience a bit more of a uh, uh, detail, give us an example of the kind of food you would eat in a day, Tom, just so they know a, a bit more about what food <laughs> sources are involved with the keto diet. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I mean, okay. <clears throat> my, my diet's going to be a little different than everybody else's diet because like you, I practice intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. So I generally won't eat any food. Um, any real food until 12 or 1 p.m. So I have a feeding window of 12 or 1 p.m. to around 7 p.m. Mm. Uh, so that's really the only time that I eat. In that period, I'll have coffee and, you know, I'll also have coffee with MCT oil in it and a little bit of stevia. So that would be sort of my morning mainstay. Um, but around Around 12 or 1 o'clock when I'm really good and hungry and ready to eat. Um, today I had a piece of salmon and, let's see, a piece of salmon, two hard-boiled eggs, and a substantial amount of kale salad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and on top of that, I had balsamic vinegar and slathered it with a bunch of olive oil. Um, tonight, 
tonight, usually that holds me over because there's so much fat. Oh, I forgot that a uh, half an avocado too. Yeah, there so we go. So it's a calorie dense meal, but it's loaded full of healthy fats, right? Which is state, you know, is, oh. and, and a decent hit of protein to, to blend your appetite. Yeah, hundred percent. So the thing is, I probably I didn't do the macros on it, but I would say I was getting close to a thousand calories. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, and so you know, I that was what two two hours ago, mm-hmm. three hours ago. So it was three hours ago, and food is you know not at top of mind at all. Like I'm not thinking about food. I'm not getting hungry. So probably I'll get home around six thirty or seven you know, probably closer to 6.30, and I might have, you know, then that's when I'll snack. Mm. And usually my dinner is basically snacks, and I'll have nuts, you know, like almonds or walnuts or pecans or, you know, uh, macadamia nuts, and sometimes sunflower seeds, because sunflower seeds are really excellent to snack on if you're watching TV or Mm. you you want just sort of some mindless munching. Mm. Um, Seeds are good as well. Um, but I don't, you know, and I might have some soup, you know, made with bone broth. Um, but that's probably going to be the extent of my dinner because I'm still going to be full from lunch. So I would say that lunch is probably my largest meal of the day. Um, you know, and then dinner is sort of just a secondary meal, mostly snacking and, and grazing. Sure. Yeah. And I can definitely relate to that as well in terms of being full because whenever I, I tend to eat uh, very high fat meals most of the time, but personally I do, I do, um, I do function really well with carbohydrates as well. Like, um, some starchy carbohydrates, you know, I'm, I'm very in tune with my body and, uh, I just feel better, more energy, better performance in the gym as well. When I include foods like sweet potato and I have a little bit of rice here and there as well, personally. So if, if anything, I would say I kind of eat, if, if I had to say, um, not attach myself, but I, if I had to say I've, I, I eat a certain way, it would be more kind of like the paleo way of eating, um, mm-hmm. where, where it, there's more, there's fruits and, and, and vegetables, uh, more, mm-hmm. more wider range of vegetables, like, you know, colored vegetables, which probably mm-hmm. have more sugar in and stuff as well. Um, mm-hmm. but what's your, what's your thoughts on, on that way of eating? Like, cause what I found as well with clients is a lot of them do thrive a bit more when they do mm-hmm. have, when they do cycle carbohydrates and starchy carbohydrates mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that as well, because obviously there's mm-hmm. going to be some benefits with the nutrients and, and gut, um, gut-friendly properties mm-hmm. in food, such as potatoes and stuff. So mm-hmm. what, what's your thoughts on that, Tom, on, on like the paleo way of eating and, and actually um, having, like if, if you were to eat those kind of foods, like some fruit mm-hmm. here and there, I mean, would that be something you think that would be detrimental to you or... Um, well, high glycemic carbohydrates definitely affect me and, but I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. Um, because I think it's important to, you know, occasionally cycle off of, uh, off of keto. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not saying do a high, high carb diet, but introducing more carbs for maybe, you know, for maybe one week every quarter. Um, because what it does is it helps you create metabolic flexibility. Mm. So it helps train your body you know, to say, okay, so I'm burning carbs right now. Once the carbs are burned up, once my body's depleted of glucose, then now my liver's going to start metabolizing fats and my brain's, you know, my body's going to function on ketones. So I think cycling off, I mean, for me personally, um, cycling off, I think is, uh, is pretty important. Maybe, you know, once every couple months, maybe once a quarter at the most. But then again, I'm also, I wouldn't put myself in an athlete 
category. Mm. I, you know, I work out every day and I stay fit, but I'm not a bodybuilder and I'm not, you know, and I'm not a professional athlete or even a, you know, even, you know, an athlete. I wouldn't even consider myself an athlete. Like I, mm. my sports are, are fly fishing. Yeah. <laughs> Fly fishing really doesn't, you know, doesn't require a lot of bodybuilding or continual uh, fitness training. Um, But I do work out every day, you know, and my workout is is pretty decent, maybe an hour a day. But again, I'm not an athlete. If you're an athlete and you're burning more glucose, um, you know, and your body needs more carbohydrates, I don't think that there's anything wrong with you know, with adding rice to your diet, I mean, to me, rice will, will immediately throw me out of keto and, you know, cause some metabolic issues, but that's just me, Mm. you know, because I've been doing keto for quite a while and I've always had a problem with metabolic flexibility. Um, you know, and, and I think that I could probably, I could probably fix that by using high intensity training. Yep. Um, and I think that that really, I mean, high intensity training, like wind sprints and stuff and bringing your heart rate up, you know, pretty high. I think that that would, that would definitely, uh, increase my, my metabolic flexibility. And a friend of mine, Mark Sisson yes. told me, go do some wind sprints. That's so. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so it's, uh, so I do believe, yeah, I mean, it, it Keto, I mean, I think that keto is a great diet. I do think it's really the way we're supposed to eat. I think our body is supposed to burn, uh, is supposed to metabolize fats as often, if not more than it metabolizes carbohydrates. Mm. I mean, that that's my opinion. I'm not a professor. Um, it's my personal experience. It's been my experience with people that I've worked with. But mm. do I support a paleo diet? If a paleo diet works for you and you're fit and you're healthy, then I would say absolutely. If you're having problems with brain fog, if you're having problems with sort of uh, neurodegenerative issues or seizures or inflammation or, you know, or just having problems with focus and energy, you know, in the afternoons, uh, you know, I would say that, you know, explore a keto diet because it gives you a constant and continual you know, source of, of clean burning energy. Mm. Yeah. That, and that totally makes sense. If you look at it from like, I'm glad you mentioned metabolic flexibility because, um, you're very open-minded in terms of your approach. It's like, you know, this works for me, but I'm not saying that the keto diet works for everyone. And, and the fact that you said, you know, it's good every now and then to throw some carbohydrates in. I totally agree with that because, I've said this before, but the, you know the body's a, an adaptation machine, right? It will adapt to most things you throw at it, and I feel like you know from an evolutionary point of view, we would have had to evolve, um, we would have had to survive through times where we didn't have any carbohydrates available to us. So mm-hmm. it only makes sense that the body has developed these systems like ketosis to keep us alive and help us help us thrive in times where we didn't have mm-hmm. those certain foods available to us, right? So I feel like, you know, the body can adapt to pretty much anything, like I said, but with the keto, the keto way of eating, it, there's definitely something to be said about that because um, I do, I always feel better in a fasted state and in terms of my energy mm-hmm. levels and my mental clarity, when I have a meal like similar to what you mentioned earlier, actually, plenty of vegetables, lots of mm-hmm. healthy fats, uh, and mm-hmm. actually, and actually, the saturated fats and um, you know cholesterol and vitamins and minerals, choline or whatever it is that you get from egg yolks mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you know egg yolks are. 
probably one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet, really. And that's something oh, yeah, something I include regular. Is eggs something that you include regular? Then obviously you had them today, but people people, <laughs> yeah, are, people I, are still I, a bit I confused eggs. about eggs. They're like you know because of all the you know all the the BS that we were told back in the day, right, about the cholesterol right. um, uh, nonsense, really. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I, yeah, I, I eat eggs. I eat the whole egg, you know, the yolk's my favorite part, of course. And you're right. It is probably one of the most amazing nutrient dense foods that you can have. It's also, you know, sustaining. So, and satiating. So if you eat the whole egg, it's definitely going to stick with you a lot longer than you, if you just eat the egg whites. And I also think that eating the, the yolk helps you, uh, helps you metabolize, um, helps you metabolize the, the whites. Um, that's right. Yeah. Cause it's got lecithin. I believe it's got like lecithin in it, which helps you like I think something like that anyway helps you emulsify and, and break down the cholesterol yep. and stuff as well, apparently. But yeah. Yep, it does. And so, yeah, I mean, as far as eggs go and also, I mean, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm not really, you know, I'm not afraid of cholesterol. Like my cholesterol is 231, which is, which is on the high side. And, um, but when you really break it down to HDL and LDL, um, you know, that's, that's the indicators and plus triglycerides. Mm. So if you've got a high triglyceride level and you've got a lot of blood floating in your system and you've got a a lot of, a lot of, you know, inflammation uh, and stuff as well, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. But those are indicators that, you know, that your body is not metabolizing, your body is not metabolizing, you know, the, your, your cholesterol properly. Mm. Um, but I don't think cholesterol is an indicator of like potential a potential cardiac event uh, by and large. Again, I want to say I'm not a doctor. You know, if you have high cholesterol, a doctor is somebody that you should be talking about. All of my experience is basically with doctors and also anecdotal. But I don't fear having a high cholesterol level, and I don't fear you know eating you know eating red meat or eating egg yolks or or anything like that because my body has been able to metabolize them just fine, you know. And and as far as my you know blood lipids and triglycerides, they're very stable. So I haven't seen any difference. You know, I've seen my cholesterol actually drop since being on 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 keto rather than go up. And that's amazing to me considering, you know, how much fat I eat. Yeah, I'm super glad you talked about that. And I'd like to say as well, obviously, I don't claim to be a doctor or anything. But when it comes to the whole um, the cholesterol theory, I think I just wanted to clarify for the listeners, you know, the body on average will produce about 70 to 80 percent. The liver will produce roughly around about 70 to 80 percent. Uh, of the cholesterol anyway so mm-hmm. uh, on average around about three to four egg yolks uh, a, you know a day your, your, your liver will produce so that tells us that cholesterol obviously is an essential nutrient um, and it also acts as like a like a steroid hormone as well so it, it acts um, mm. it, it actually helps us produce hormones and it mm-hmm. has a lot of benefit as well. So I, th- I just feel like it's being demonized a lot. But I think people need to realize there's actually a nutrient. But yeah, as you as you said, you need to speak to a doctor if your cholesterol levels are high. And 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 obviously, you, you said about HDL and LDL. And LDL mm-hmm. is normally what normally the one which uh, can cause issues, right? But uh, but right. Even, even with that, that's kind of like that's broken down as well, right? So it's like different types yeah. of particles do different things. It's a bit more yeah. complex, right? So I don't know what people think. 
Yeah, it's very, very com- complex. I mean, if you really want to break into the deep science of of LDL and you know and triglyceride levels and how you know that may or may not affect you know a cardiac event, um, I don't know if you are your your audience is familiar with Peter Atia. Um, but oh, sure. uh, I can't say I've heard of him either. I'll have to check him out. Yeah, Peter Atia, he's a doctor and he's in San Diego and he you know he does a lot of biohacking. And he's really way on the cutting edge of like keto and how, you know, how it affects cholesterol and potential cardiac events. So, um, how do you spell his surname? Peter, sorry, Peter, how do you spell his surname? Peter, Peter Atia, A-T-T-I-A. I'll check him out. Okay. Great. Yeah, his, his he has a podcast that's called The Drive, and it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's very very sciencey stuff, you know. Yep, yep. But he really drills down into you know into breaking down LDL into the you know sticky plates that could potentially cause a cardiac event, mm. and you know, and he really discusses you know like the whole cholesterol thing and how you know health can't be sort of determined by. Uh, you know, by the levels of cholesterol that we're showing in our blood tests. Mm, great, great. Some awesome information there on nutrition. I guess we can segue okay. into something related, which is the mind. Obviously, you know, we're facing kind of uh, not a great time when it comes to mental health ailments. And there's a few factors which come into that. Obviously, we're a lot more aware now of, of people with, with mental health issues and stuff like that. But there's definitely something going on. We are facing an epidemic of mental health illness and i feel like taking care is something i've really um more be more aware of over the last year or so is is trying to take care of my mind and if and what i've noticed recently is i done i done a bodybuilding comp a few weeks ago for the first time in like three and a half years and everything else mm. kind of takes takes a back seat as you can imagine when you're uh, about to step oh, yeah. on stage yeah it's obviously all about the uh the, the aesthetics and the, the superficial side of it, really. And uh, what I did notice is I wasn't practicing my gratitude as much. I stopped meditating. Mm. And um, mm. I'm finding it hard to get back into the, the flow of doing it. I'm, I'm slowly getting back into my gratitude. But I know you do a lot of uh, mindfulness stuff and you're, you're big into the, uh, the benefits and it's something you definitely practice. So talk to us a little bit more about that, Tom, please. That's a... Uh that's an excellent question. Thanks for opening up that can of worms, Martin. Um, Pleasure. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the mental part, I mean, setting aside the keto diet, because the keto keto diet for me does really increase my brain function. But then, I mean, the whole, like the book that I wrote, Guy Gone Keto, a lot of, I mean, the title sort of indicates that it's all about keto. But really what it's about is, is making a lifestyle change. And and really part of that lifestyle change is you know is taking is that mind spirit connection and so i mean the health component of it is you know is making sure that you take care of your gut like gut health is super important because your gut is really responsible for about 90% of your serotonin production and serotonin is really what's going to keep you you know keep you happy keep you you know prevent depression so really healthy gut healthy mind um, that's sort of the, the, the physical component of it. The more mental component is, is the meditation. And I think that if you are having a hard time meditating, create a morning ritual for yourself, like really create a morning ritual that you, that you are completely disciplined and completely dedicated to. And, and part of my morning ritual is journaling. And I really think that journaling 
has helped me so much and has helped me really stay on track. Like I've been journaling since 1994 and I've got a massive stack of journals that, I mean, I don't know what I'll ever do with it. It's just crazy. And, you know, sometimes I'll flip through it and I'll be like, oh my God, I, I, that would, that seemed like such a big deal then, but it's not a really big deal now. So, I mean, journaling is so rich because it gives you the ability to go back and look at your growth and, you know, and see how much you've shifted. And then, I mean, also journaling, I would say that it, that it's the, it's the sketch, if you will, of the masterpiece that you're about to create. And if you, you know, I get a lot of questions of like, Hey, I don't really get this journaling. How do you even get started? I've got this big blank page in front of me and I can't seem to get it going. And my response to that is good. Good. Ask yourself some questions. I mean, that's, that is how I start my journaling. The first part of my journaling exercise is how do I feel? Like, how do I feel? Do I feel in touch with my body? Do I have any anxiety? Is there any kind of resentment that, you know, that I'm feeling? What are the emotions that are going through my body? Think it and ink it, get it down on paper. The next question I ask myself is what will I do to do or be better today? Like, you know, and it's sort of a reflection of what I did the day before and what I intend on doing today to to be better, to be a better person, to be a better friend, to be a better boss. Um, you know, and a lot of it is listen, you know, listen more, um, hydrate more, um, mm-hmm. you know, portion control better, um, you know, and live in a state of gratitude. And, you know, and then naturally from there, I move into, well, what do I want to create or manifest? And that's when you can really get into the juicy stuff. Like, what do you want? What do you want to manifest in your life? What do you want to create? And your brain's kind of interesting because you don't, you can put things in the past tense, meaning, you know, I created a, you know, I created a bank account that had over a million dollars in, you know, in cash. So these are things that you can start putting you know, that you can start putting into the, into your section on manifestation. Like, what is it I want to create? Do you want to learn a foreign language? You know, now mm-hmm. I speak French. Do you want to, you know, travel? You know, I'm now visiting France for 12 months in 2020. Like all of these things you put down as what you want to, what you want to manifest. You get them on paper. And then the next step is gratitude. Like, what are the things that I'm grateful for today for, you know, like, am I, I'm grateful for, you know, every single person in my life who loves and supports me. Um, you know, I'm grateful, you know, for the businesses that I have and I'm grateful for the lifestyle that those businesses provide me with. And I'm grateful for each employee, each customer, each tenant, you know, who, who has helped me build those businesses. So if you go through the list and even down to, you know, I'm grateful for my breath you know, my healing breath. And then I wrap up my, I wrap up my journal journaling process with an affirmation and it's a breathing affirmation and a breathing affirmation is so easy to do. It's like, you know, with every breath that I take in, you know, I draw, you know, loving kindness, I draw health, I draw longevity, you know, wealth, prosperity, abundance, any and everything that courage, clarity, you know, dignity, integrity, all of these things that you want to draw into your life. And then, you know, the last section is with every exhale, with every breath out, I release any and every, you know, self-limiting belief, thoughts, habits, people, circumstances that no longer support, you know, my higher purpose. And what is your higher purpose? 
I mean, defining your higher purpose is hugely important. Is your higher purpose contribution? Is it legacy? You know, is it just loving kindness and being gentle with people? So, and before you know it, you have an eight and a half by 11 inch piece of paper completely filled with words and, and you're ready to begin your day. Fantastic. That's definitely something I need to do more of. It. Oh, I need to start doing period is the uh, the journaling because I've heard so much about it and it just makes total sense really, you know, right? Because we live in an era now where it's everything, you know, with technology and things just seem to be a bit more manic and crazy than ever really. Uh, Everyone's in a rush, right, Tom? We're always, yeah. we're always in a rush to get here, there and everywhere. We've got all this stimulus coming from all different angles, whether it's the iPhone or you know, wherever it is, I feel like, you know, people spend, you know, the average person, for example, will check their first email at like before 7am and they'll, they'll work through to like 7.38pm. So the average person's working longer than they ever have in any time in human history, but are, they're not actually working. Like we're, we're basically wasting and distract, distracted, um, procrastinating and doing more of that than we ever have, right? So I feel like just to take a few minutes out of your day, um, is so important and I just wanted to talk because the only thing I've done consistently is gratitude and mind uh, sorry mm-hmm. uh, basically gratitude and um, what I can say about that is since I, I've, I've started doing it again now and focusing on it again but what I've noticed is I have to search more now whereas before if I would get like a little problem everything let's face it 99.9% of the problems we get are minor anyway but it's, it's how you perceive it and uh, what I did notice mm. when I was really vigilant with gratitude is when I would get like a little issue it, it, I would my mind would straight away obviously I would try and solve the problem but my mind would straight away go into um searching for the, the things I'm grateful for. And it's like, okay, you've had this little thing happen, but mm-hmm. let's face it, it's nothing. I'm grateful for this, I'm grateful for that. Uh, whereas now, because I haven't been practicing as much, I'm finding I have to search a lot more now and I'm kind of making a mountain out of things which uh, necessarily, uh, aren't necessarily that, um, that much of a problem at all, actually. So uh, I can definitely tell you that it is important. But I just wanted to say on the meditation and, and journaling side of it as well, how long do you actually spend, Tom? How long do you spend, like, in the morning, just to give us more of a, an example, all together mm-hmm. with those things? Um, I spend quite a quite amount of time, like, probably an hour and a half to two hours at least. Wow. So, I mean, when I get up in the morning, I mean, it's all about journaling, uh, working out, meditation, um, self-care. Mm-hmm. And I honestly believe... You know, for the longest, I would say up until probably three years ago, I was just all about grinding. Mm-hmm. You know, up at 4.30, I didn't care how much sleep I got, but I was going to be up at 4.30 and I was just going to be grinding it out the gym, you know, and about, I don't know, maybe six months ago, um, yeah, I ended up in the hospital with like burnout. Really? And yeah, I mean, I had, I didn't have like, because the doctors, the doctors told me, you know, years ago they're like um yeah you have adrenal fatigue and my attitude about adrenal fatigue was yeah adrenal fatigue doesn't really exist that's just a thing Mm. and you know and so i just kept pushing and then the last doctor is like you're burning the candle at both ends you are very very close to being in like adrenal failure and Mm. i'm like i don't even believe this stuff what is the adrenal system and yeah lo and behold three months ago uh, you know, I went to bed, uh, blood pressure skyrocketed to like 199 over 90, super rapid heart rate, 
you know, and then the heart rate would drop and then it would raise again. And, and I'm like, I wonder what the hell's going on. And so I drove myself to the hospital and I told them, like, I think I'm having a cardiac event. And so they put me on EKG and, you know, checked everything out. And they're like, no, you, you seem to be fine. Um, so afterwards, you know, I was just really curious and actually terrified if, if, if the truth must be told that what the hell is going on with me, you know, because my heart rate was just all over the place. My blood pressure would be up and then it would be down and, you know, major fatigue and, and kind of feeling a little panicky. Hmm. Uh, so I went to a doctor, they did a hormone test and they're like, yeah, your testosterone level is like hardly you know, hardly there, but what was gone is like estrogen. And I'm like, well, I don't need estrogen. And the doctor's like, you don't have estrogen, your heart stops. Yeah. And so it's basically, vital hormone, isn't it? yeah. it's vital. And so that was my crash course in the endocrine system is like, is having, you know, having myself in a state of burnout where just about every one of my hormones was just shot. Mm. Like it just wasn't producing anymore. And I was getting really weird, you know, uh, heart rhythms out of it. And so ultimately what I needed was rest. Um, what I needed is to have the right supplements and the right food and the right, you know, just really, really taking it easy. Mm. So my whole regime shifted more from just grinding it to a lot more about self-care, making sure that I get eight hours of sleep at night and that the quality of my sleep is is excellent, to make sure that I've got time to meditate, um, stretching, and doing the things that are more slow um, and more healing than the one than instead of just, you know, putting it in beast mode 24-7. Mm. Uh, so meditation is a big part of that. And I do spend I mean, it, it's it's almost mandatory that I spend at least two hours in the morning, you know, to myself, practicing self-care, you know, having a infrared sauna, working out, you know, journaling and, you know, having a nice cup of tea. Blows my mind, Tom, how these things happen, like what you experienced six months ago with the uh, adrenal fatigue and, you know, really compromising your health. These things happen, but, you know, prevention over cure, right? Because if we just do the little things like you mentioned earlier, taking care of our brain and, and managing our stress, I think is a really important one, which is where meditation and stuff like that comes in really handy. And not to mention, you said you were, you were pretty much sleep deprived as well, which is going to do your stress no favors. If we were just to focus on the big rocks, you know, most of the time, and that's not to say we need to be perfect, then, you know, we, we, could, uh, we could help prevent some of these, uh, these things happening, Tom, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, really, my personal opinion now is like self-care. Like, I think self-care is critically important. And, you know, I, I used to believe that I could get by on, you know, four to six hours of sleep per night. And, you know, now it's, it's quite obvious that I can't. And I mean, another factor, too, is, um, you know, it's just not sleep, but it's also balance. It's like work-life balance. I mean, it's important to, you know, to grind it out because, I mean, as a business owner or an entrepreneur, I mean, that's the whole thing is the hustle and the grind. But it's also critically important if you want longevity, you know, to be able to pace yourself, to be able to practice self-care like meditation or yoga or breathing, you know, just breathing, you know, mm -hmm. helps. And, you know, and maybe just, you know, having a nice, nice cup of tea and watching the sunrise.
Yes, gratitude is key. And you really, I bet you really appreciate the small things even more now. You know, we discussed this briefly, but I can't imagine because, you know, I ended up in hospital like that. Must have been a big hit. Yeah, it was because I thought I was, you know, in optimal health and, and invincible. And, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, my first response to it was, was, oh shit, you know what? I mean, you know, I, I have to face my own mortality and like, you know, my own health issues and stuff like that. But, um, you know, the more, the more I look at it, the more I think that it was, it was really a gift. It was a huge gift that I'm, I'm extremely, you know, grateful for because it really helped me, you know, develop greater levels of compassion for other people, you know, because I, I didn't know what was going on and and the doctors didn't know what was going on until, you know, I had all my hormone panels, you know, checked and it's like zeros across the board and they're like, it's amazing. Your heart's still beating. Um, but you know, it's, it, it really, you know, that was a gift because my priorities totally shifted, you know, they shifted from, you know, being sort of myopic and just singularly focused on, you know, on money and I mean, not even money, but just growing the company and, and, you know, and, and growing the people within my company mm. and, you know, and not taking care of myself. So it was a real gift to, you know, to me to see what's important in my life and also the gratitude of, of, all of the people that like were supporting me, like, you know, better take it easy, you better rest. And it's just, you know, when you, when you see how many people love and care for you, um, yeah, it really, it mm. really grounds you and it really makes you feel good. I bet. Yeah. I can't imagine. And this was only six months ago when this happened, right? So this is relatively recent. And how would you, the meditation and the gratitude and those kind of things, are these things you've just taken up since then, or you were doing them prior to this? No, I was totally doing them prior. So yeah. like I would journal every day. I would meditate every day. Um, you know, I practice yoga. The problem was that I was not getting enough sleep. Yeah. Like I would, you know, I'd run on four hours of sleep and think that that's probably okay. Um, you know, and I was just literally burning the candle at both ends. And so, yes, while gratitude certainly helps, and, you know, um, and meditation and yoga certainly help. I mean, sleep and rest is critically important to, you know, rebuilding and being able to, you know, sort of recalibrate and re-engage after that. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And we can kind of transition into your business, right? Because you were talking about the grinds and not getting much sleep and trying to grow the business. Mm-hmm. So the business obviously played a huge part in this in your attitude towards, you know, continuously growing and you've built, you know, a multi-million dollar business. So talk us through that. Talk us about the, uh, the grit and the resilience and kind of the, the grind that it took to actually build the business to what it is now. Um, it took quite a bit because it's always, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're running a business, it's always ups and downs. Like, you know, you hope for more ups than downs, 
but if it's not, you know, if it's not a financial situation, you know, where the cash flow is not up to your expectation, um, you know, then it could also be employees, you know, like this, we have a small business here and it feels like a family a lot of times and people squabble and fight and there's disagreements, you know, and being able to balance that all and create harmony and collaboration, um, you know, it takes a lot of work and effort. And sometimes, you know, it's like, it's easy to get frustrated, frustrated and to take things personally. Um, but quite honestly, those things, those things are never effective. Like mm. taking anything personally mm. is just, yeah. is a path of just a path of destruction. You don't want to go down that. So, you know, it does take, you know, like running there, there's a difference between like being an entrepreneur in a startup mode where, you know, things are, you know, are exciting and constantly changing and growing and shifting, you know, but when you, you know, my business is, is almost 20 years old now. And, you know, there are just day-to-day things and where, you know, where startup, you shift and you pivot a lot, you know, with a bigger business like this, um, you know, it's, it's like a ship, you know, you can course correct, but it takes time for that course correction to, to really take place. Mm. And it seems to me that a lot of people who have been very successful uh, in entrepreneurship and building businesses and, and whatnot, um, it seems like they've gone through a period of not really sleeping much, grinding really hard, and sometimes having a wake up call, but sometimes not. And then I don't know. Do you think it's, it's uh, do you think it's essential to get, to really put your body through that, or do you think if you could go back, that you would just do it smarter and just prioritize your sleep <laughs> and realize that actually not not saying that you've done it you know in in a dumb in a dumb manner saying do it smarter but you you've done what you had to do and it's made you it's made you realize you know and, and and put things into perspective but do you think it's really necessary to do that or I mean can you be smart and just you know get your sleep and still and still achieve. Yeah, I think that I think pacing oneself is important. And I think, you know, I mean, you can never change the past. Like you can't, you can't go back and, and, you know, and course correct something. It's, you know, you just have to accept what happened. But my advice, I mean, my advice to people that are doing a 24 seven grind, um, trying to build their business is, you know, I would take the advice of people that have done it and it didn't work out. Like, you know, for me to do the 24 seven grind, it didn't really work out. I did it for a long time. I had doctors tell me, it's like, Hey, you're work, you're running on borrowed, borrowed energy here. It's like, you need, you really need to take a rest and rebuild. Mm. And, you know, I didn't listen to them because it's like, what do these guys know? You know, it's like, mm. I know my body. I know what I'm capable of. Yeah, but then exactly. when it turns on you, you're like, oh, crap. It's like, no, those doctors were right. So I would say, you know, if, if anybody in your audience, Martin, is like is doing a 24-7 hardcore grind on it, maybe hit the pause button for a second and take a look at your life and ask yourself, are you happy? You know, are you, are you filling a void or something like, are you working so hard because you don't want to face yourself or you don't want to face issues or something, you know, of that nature? Because I'm not sure that grinding it that hard is, uh, is healthy. And I'm not sure that it, it's going to make you any more successful, um, you know, because you're only, you only hit max production levels when you're, when you're well rested mm. and, so being well rested, a lot of self care, you know, it, it, it arms you for your next day. Yeah, absolutely. 
Fantastic. Um, talking about how you got your business off the ground, firstly, I guess this is kind of two questions in one, but could you just give us more details on what your business is and kind of, because, you know, the bottom line is 99% pretty much, something crazy like that, 99% of businesses fail, right? Or nine out of 10. It's, uh, you know, the odds are stacked against you when you're trying to build a business. I don't think uh, a lot of people realize, I mean, not that I've done it, but just from what I've observed, I don't think most people kind of real, especially young people going into it, realize quite what it takes to actually build, you know, a business which is worth a million dollars or whatever. Like I said, mm. I've never done that from what I've observed. So, yeah, talk to us firstly um, about what your business is and what you do, and then and then what you know what challenges and setbacks you faced starting mm. out starting out with a new business. Right. Well, I mean, for me starting this business, I mean, I, I started about 20 years ago when I ran into a gentleman in, uh, in Arizona who brought stevia leaves back from Paraguay. And I immediately thought, you know, if there was a way to get those sweet constituents out of those leaves, you could build a business around it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so in theory, um, it sounded, it sounded quite simple, but and, and maybe it was, but it wasn't easy because mm. um, there was a process that we had to go through of, um, you know, figuring out a, a way to extract it. That we're just using water and, uh, and vegetable alcohol. And so, I mean, it was just a process and you, you know, you had to fight through the layers of it. Um, you know, and one, one thing, one piece of advice I could also give your, uh, you know, give your listeners is, is to pivot. If you're doing the wrong thing and you're not making money, um, it's time to pivot or redefine your, redefine your business model. Cause, um, you know, the more effort that you put in, if you keep going two steps backwards, uh, you need to, you need to pay, maybe take a look at, at what you're doing and, you know, and reassess and reevaluate. So, I mean, I've had a lot of those opportunities because I started the company as a consumer brand, and with the intention of, you know, of creating, you know, I guess, uh, brand equity within, within the consumer level and then being able to parlay that into an ingredient, uh, company. And so that's kind of what I did, but the ingredient, the ingredient side of this business, cause we supply sweeteners and sweetening systems to, uh, to food manufacturers that are looking to target keto and, uh, high fat, low carb, paleo, and uh, and low carb diet. So, I mean, that's that's our business model. And while we started out with high intensity sweeteners, you know, stuff that was like 250 times sweeter than sugar, we found that you know that um, food manufacturers needed something that was more on parity with uh, with sugar. And so that's where we pivoted and said, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna we're actually gonna sell sweetening systems, which are a blend of of different compounds that mimic sugar but don't affect blood sugar levels." So that was like our first pivot. I see, I see. So in terms of the sweeteners you provide, they're natural sweeteners, and because you mentioned uh, stevia, which is a uh, that's that's from what I've you know from what I've gathered, it's one of the most natural kind of healthy types of sweeteners because it comes from a plant right but um yeah talk to us about the kind of sweeteners that you uh attach your business to and and what you actually sell to these to these companies 
Um, well, our primary like high intensity sweeteners are going to be monk fruit extract and stevia extract, mm. and so both of those are around 250 times sweeter than sugar. So if you if you plug that into a recipe, you know you're going to be using the tiniest little fraction uh, to be able to achieve that sweetness, which means now you've lost all that volume. Mm. Um, so now you need to replace that volume with stuff. So that's when we started carrying other, other sweeteners like, um, erythritol, which is about 70% of sweet as sugar, xylitol, um, you know, and probably the, the newest one that we started carrying is allulose mm. and allulose it's made, made through th- fermentation, uh, of, of fructose, so your body is unable to metabolize it, and that's probably the most exciting one, um, you know. And we that one's about seventy percent as sweet as sugar. So when we mix the stevia and the monk fruit in with it, it brings it to parity, you know. So food manufacturers can use it just like they would sugar. Mm, I see. And in terms of eating keto and eating, you know, that way, if you were to add, let's just say, these sweeteners versus um, artificial sweeteners, which have been proven to to have much worse side effects. Obviously, most of the studies have been done in rats and whatnot. But sucralose, for example, is I think around five hundred, six hundred times sweeter than sugar, and mm-hmm. it goes through that you know chlorination process, which you know obviously mm-hmm. is, is is extractive with chemicals, and it can be potentially carcinogenic. Although obviously it's you'd need a, a stupid amount. They, they say the argument is you know you'd need. Uh, X amount to actually do some serious damage, and the same goes for a spa team and all those things. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on um, on the artificial sweeteners and and the effect on the body in, in comparison to the natural ones? Right. Well, I mean, I I actually test all of the sweeteners on myself, so I'll pull I'll pull blood and test you know my blood sugar levels and ketone levels before and after consuming them. And I've also done experiments with uh, with aspartame and sucralose as well. Um, you know, where I've done you know I've done a small amount uh, in a diet soda and then tracked blood sugar levels and ketones. And what I found is that with chemically based artificial sweeteners, it does raise my, uh, raise my blood sugars slightly. And it also, uh, drops my, my ketones. And so I've talked to several professors and doctors about this, and it seems to be the consensus that your body sort of recognizes, you know, recognizes, uh, compounds that exist in nature. Um, but with aspartame and sucralose, those don't really exist in nature. So when you know when you introduce it into the body, it's going to ask, "Well, so what do we do with this? What is this? Is this a sugar? Is it you know what is it?" And and so your body doesn't really recognize on how to metabolize it, and it's foreign to the body. And so what happens is you actually get a brain response that, you know, that triggers your body to release a little more insulin, you know, when you're releasing insulin, it's going to drop your, drop your, uh, ketone levels. So Mm. I've actually done that experiment to myself and found it to be pretty accurate. Um, with stevia and monk fruit and the other, other sugars that we, you know, that we provide, um, those all exist in nature. Mm. So, you know, your body knows how to metabolize them or not to metabolize them and have it just pass, you know, pass through your body. 
the 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 one sweetener that I find to be probably the most exciting sweetener that I've gotten to work with is allulose. And allulose is made from a fermented uh, a fermented fructose. Uh, substrate like a liquid, um, and what I found in consuming that is it actually lowered my blood sugar levels a little bit and raised my ketones. And I was really interested in the reasons behind that, and it really has to do with um, with the bacteria that you know with your your microbiome that metabolizes it. Um, but it's pretty interesting. Like I've had, I ate a bowl of ice cream with caramel topping. Um, you know, all of it was made with, uh, with allulose, stevia and monk fruit. And I pulled blood before and then I pulled blood after and it actually reduced blood sugar levels and raised ketones after eating a bowl of ice cream. Wow. (laughs) Go figure. That's crazy. I've tried your Gigon Keto sauces as well. Beautiful, mate. I've got to say, and I'm not just saying it because you're on the podcast, (laughs) but, um, the, uh, the teriyaki one is uh, the main yep. one I've tried so far, and it's, it's lovely. Yep. Uh, when I was going through prep for my competition, it was my savior, yeah. Tom. So thanks for that, mate. Nice. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Glad to help. Good stuff. No, and, and with artificial sweeteners, what I find is, um, personally, based on my experience, I haven't coached so many people, and with my own experiences, it's people who tend to eat artificial sweeteners regular, so... You'll find generally you're going to find artificial sweeteners in processed foods primarily anyway. So I find those same people normally, because not that the you know the, and the the argument is you know there's no calories in them, but what I find is it promotes the same behaviors. So you're kind of replacing one addiction with another in a sense because a lot of us a lot of people addicted to the, the processed foods or whatever. Maybe I won't use the word addicted, but a lot of us like to eat processed foods on a regular basis. A lot of people do. So when they're eating those foods and then they, they say, you know, sugar's bad, refined sugar, I'll cut it out and I'll have this because it's got less calories in. But what I find is those same people tend to eat the artificial sweeteners every day. They have to have them. Um, so I find it's it kind of promotes the wrong behaviors. People who are having this, there's something in those sweeteners is what I'm trying to say as well is, uh, that keeps us wanting more now. Um, so yeah, I just think in general, having them regular every day, I'm talking about artificial sweeteners, uh, just, just not ideal from what I've gathered Tom, with, with most people. Yeah, I, well, I think that, you know, I mean, it, it consuming sugar, triggers it triggers the same sort of pleasure zones in your brain as cocaine and yep. so it is addictive like you can get addicted to sugar i've seen people that are addicted to sugar and i also think that since there is that that brain response to artificial sweeteners that it's not going to be too too different than the same response that somebody gets from sugar so i mean i do believe that all of those have certain I don't know if I would say addictive properties, but definitely you can become somewhat dependent on them. And, you know, if you eliminated, eliminated them out of your life that you might, you know, you might miss them and, you know, feel like you're going to gravitate towards them. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, there's pretty, pretty solid evidence towards that. That's right. Yeah, the evidence does point to that as well. And it's just, it's just common sense as well. Obviously, something that is, let's just say, 500, 600 times sweeter than sugar, uh, it's been chemically man- manufactured in, in a lab or whatever. You know, it's, and it's going to trick your brain, right? So it's obviously going to do something to your brain. That's, that's the most important thing that I think the piece that 
people miss. People who talk about, oh, you know, you've just got to be in a calorie deficit to lose body fat. It's really easy and simple. It, it is simple on paper, but to actually do that and sustain it is a different story right. altogether because the psychology behind well, talking about processed foods, right? They, they, especially with mm-hmm. the, you know, talking about artificial sweeteners, as we said, it's going to trick your brain into thinking it's getting sugar, but then obviously it's not getting the calories. So it's going to have some sort of psychological impact, right, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, if it does trigger a certain sort of brain chemistry, you know, when you have, you know, like heavy carbs, heavy sugar or artificial sweeteners, I mean, it goes to reason that, you know, that you will see some sort of dependency or, you know, craving for that, for that particular sweetener. Mm. And how often do you have natural sweeteners, Tom? Like, cause obviously I know you, you mainly use the natural ones. Do you have them regular? Yeah. I do. I have them every day. So it's yeah. like, um, yeah, I, I, my go-to sweetener right now is called Keto Sweet, and it is the Allulose Stevia Monk Fruit Blend, and well, I have it in a in a liquid form. Yeah. And so you know, if I'm having, if I'm going to have like, um, you know, some fat coffee, you know, bulletproof coffee in the morning, I'll have a little squirt of it, and then when I have tea in the afternoon, I'll put a little bit in there as well. Mm. Nice. If you were to take just, I'm just curious. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, I'm not trying to attack you here, but <laughs> I'm just asking <laughs> you, you only it, because, no, no, only because with myself, you know, prep and becomes uh-huh. and all that kind of stuff. What I find yeah. is if I just cut the, like even natural sweeteners, because you're still mm-hmm. getting that that sweetness. I find if I just cut it out, I'm just better off generally. Like psychologically, it does something to my brain. Um, with with yourself, if you were to say cut the sweeteners out. Would you still enjoy, let's just say, I don't know, like a bulletproof coffee. Would you still enjoy drinking without the the natural sweetener? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I don't have to have it every time. Like, um, you know, I I can just have coffee straight and not miss it. But, you know, I I have that morning habit of, you know, having my coffee with sweetener. Um, And I would say, you know, I would say by and large, I have it every day, but there might be days where I'm like, man, I don't really feel like, you know, having anything sweet. So Mm. I don't, I don't feel like, you know, when you're using natural sweeteners like that, that you, you know, they become as, as habit forming as, you know, as it would if if you were having like real sugar or an artificial sweetener. I I couldn't agree more with that. Right. Because I have noticed sometimes if I have like uh, certain types of protein bars, most protein bars have got the artificial sweeteners in anyway, like sucralose. And um, the other one is K-sulfame, is it? Whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, A-sulfame K. A-sulfame K. Yeah. So when I do start having them, I find I'll have one or two and then the next day I'll want another one straight away. It's like, it's like something happens in my brain where I'm, I'm starting to build a habit instantly. Whereas, and I was hooked before because um, I, I said I had an unhealthy relationship before when I was uh, restricting my diet down for shows and stuff and I and, and photo shoots. And I was having a lot of supplements with artificial sweeteners in and I was actually hooked on having those things regular. So I think it must oh. be some sort of, yeah, some sort of pathway in my brain when I start having those those again. But what I did notice, for example, when I was using your product, the Guy Gone Keto, uh, leading up to my show, it was very much like that. Now you say it, it was like I can take it or leave it. It was like as much as I like the taste, yeah. I didn't need it. Like, yeah. I could add a bit of squeeze some lemon and some cider vinegar and some salt and I'd be fine. But I'd be like, if mm-hmm. I want that extra bit of flavor, then I'll add some of your sauce. You know what I mean? So that actually does make yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, you know, we don't use any artificial sweeteners and, you know, every ingredient we, 
we put in there is natural. So I haven't heard of, I haven't had any customers come back and say, Hey, I'm addicted to your sauce. <laughs> That's but it. Not people that on the street and buying it and, and jacking up with it and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't run into that yet. So I mean, people have like told me that they're using the ketchup, you know, all the time, which is which is just fine. I mean, it's way better than using regular ketchup that's got you know more sugar than ice cream. So. Mm. Um, say it's a, a pretty good alternative. Oh, man, I haven't alternative. tried that one. Yeah, I'll try that one today then. Lovely. Is ketchup a big thing in Australia? It's not so big here, but I'm from the UK originally, and in the UK it's uh, huge, mate. Yeah, Heinz, Heinz ketchup and uh, Heinz brown sauce, yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, because we tried to model it off of regular ketchup, yep. um, you know, when I was making the formula, and I just couldn't do it because it, when, I, when I was trying to match it up, it's basically uh, sugar, salt, some vinegar, and and tomato paste and that's it like yep. their spices are not really very pronounced and i'm like yeah i don't think that this is really ketchup it's more like very very sugary tomato sauce that's exactly right yeah it's the sugar which they add to that that little concoction isn't it they add it they, <laughs> they get it just right don't they you know what it's like these uh these kind of hyper palatable foods they engineer yes. them to make them taste just perfect they, they have all the calculations of, they disregard the health side of it obviously and they're just focusing on the taste right so they get well i on. think what they focus on i mean they focus on the taste i think and then they focused on they focus on on the cost of the goods of course so like how much is it going to cost to make this and can we make it cheaper and, and you know in the united states sugar is a subsidized uh, a subsidized industry so they get mm. government subsidies so they can you know so it's cheap and food manufacturers will plug it in as an ingredient, um, you know, because it's so cheap. And basically, it's just you pour in as much sugar as you want and add some salt and then flavor it. And, I mean, that could be one of a hundred different products on the shelf. Mm. It's, this is a whole other conversation, but just quickly before we wrap this up, it's actually crazy how corrupt it is in America, right? With the, um, well, more than, more than just one thing, but especially with the food industry, right? I, I can't believe how corrupted it. For example, this is a, a weird example, but McDonald's, for example, in the UK, right? In the French, even in the French fries in McDonald's, obviously they're not healthy by any way, any way, shape, or form. I'm not promoting them, but they've only got like four ingredients in the UK. So they've got like mm. potatoes, salt. I think they use vegetable oil, which is obviously terrible. Uh, and then one other thing, can't think what it was. And in America, on the flip side, they use loads of different things just for french fries they use something mm. like 20 different ingredients they use like Jeez. these chem yeah and they use these chemicals which really don't really make that much difference to the flavor but they just use them anyway and they've linked uh, the, this specific type of chemical to like different types of cancer and they're just ruthless oh. out there tom right i've seen ruthless behavior for sure yeah i mean i like to think that you know i like to think that food manufacturers are not evil um, yeah. No, I know. I know. You, you know, and that they're not trying to formulate food to addict people or to make people fat. Yeah. However, I mean, when you do look at you know the ingredient statement on a lot of manufactured products, you know, specifically like more conventional type products in regular grocery stores, when you look at the list of chemicals that are put into food. It is. It's mind-boggling. And a lot of them are preservatives, so they can extend shelf life. Mm. Um, 
you know, and that's that way they can keep it on the shelf for three or four years rather than keeping it on the shelf for 12 months, which means greater profits. So I would say that a lot of the chemicals you see are stabilizers and preservatives. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So just be aware of that people. But yeah, just mm-hmm. to, uh, to wrap this up now, Tom, I just wanted you to give the audience some tips on just, I guess, just life tips, really health, whatever it could be from mainly from what you've learned over the last six months, I think, uh, in, since you had the, the little health scare there, and I guess, you know, you, you did say you've changed the way you look at things now. So just based oh, on your yeah. current mindset, any kind of advice you have for people who are just looking to be healthy, fit and, you know, happy, I guess. Yeah, I would. I mean, I would say the biggest thing that helps me is setting an intention, um, you know, like really it's like describe an outcome that you want to, you know, that you want to reach and set that intention to do it. And so if you have an outcome of, of healing, if you have an outcome of, you know, of getting healthier, losing weight, if you want the outcome of, you know, starting your own business, set your intention, set your intention on it, journal it, write down an action plan and with, you know, quantifiable dates of what you're, you know, what you're looking to, you know, these steps that you're going to take in order to achieve that outcome. And I mean, for me, it's like that works for every aspect of my life from personal, you know, even mapping out relationships, you know, setting the intention of what you want, you know, in a relationship, whether it's a friendship or other, um, you know, setting intentions, I think is critically important, you know, and thinking it and inking it, meaning once you think of this intention, once you, you know, you have that outcome that, you know, that you want to achieve, write it down, write it down, keep it in a journal because, you know, that is how you're going to make, you know, that intention manifest. Great. And one last quick question. I've def- I've started, um, uh, only this week meditating and, and writing down. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've started, and I've st- only, only short and sweet. Just, I'm just starting off with like five, 10 minutes, just try and build it back up again. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with the gratitude, I just started writing that down again now, cause it's much more powerful putting pen to paper as you, as you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And with yeah. the journal, with the journal inside of it, just, um, to start that out, you said, you said earlier on the podcast, just literally writing down, how do I feel as an example, right? Oh yeah. I mean, that's the, the, I mean, that's, I've had so many people ask me like the journaling question, like, how do I get to, how do I get started with it? Because all I'm doing is staring at a blank page. How do I get words onto the, onto that blank page? It's super easy. You just ask yourself questions, ask yourself questions of how do you feel today? Um, ask yourself the question of how can I do or be better today? Ask yourself the question of what am I willing to let go of that's holding me back? Like, for me, it's like letting go of fear, fear of what, what other people think of me and leaning more into self-acceptance and just acceptance. Um, I also think what I'm asking myself, what am I grateful for today? Um, and then once you start asking yourself those questions, you know, you're going to find that that page is going to be completely full. And then I love to wrap my journal up or my pages up with, with a breathing affirmation, meaning, you know, with every inhale I take, I draw, you know, abundance, I draw acceptance, self-discipline, um, you know, wisdom, clarity, whatever it is that you, you know, that you want to draw into your life. And with each exhale, you know, I release any and all self-limiting beliefs, um, habits, thoughts, people, 
circumstances that no longer support, you know, my higher purpose of whatever that is. If it's legacy, you know, if it's, uh, if it's building a business, if it's contribution, um, or if it's just, you know, if it's just peace of mind, um, you know, and then, then that's it. You've got an entire page filled up and then do it every day. Boom. That's great advice. Thanks very much, Tom. <laughs> boom. Uh, boom. You nailed it. No messing around. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Cheers, Tom. It was, a, it was a, a massive pleasure to have you on the show and uh, you dropped some great content there for the audience. Nice. Thanks so much, Martin. I appreciate it. You had some excellent questions and yeah, any, anytime you want to talk again, I'm always here. Thank you, Tom. Where can they find you, the audience? Although I will add into the show notes. Um, probably the best place that I'm most responsive is any of the socials, um, Instagram, Twitter, all of them under guy gone keto. Um, if you go to guy gone you can email me from there. Um, but any of the socials, you know, like follow us, direct message me, you know, if you need support and, and help in, you know, in lifestyle changes, I, I'm always here to help. Awesome. Thanks again, Tom. You're entirely welcome. Thanks for having me on, Martin. Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye.